1: You're young. You can retire young as a police officer.
2: Once you get fifteen and you can you're vested. So yeah. Retire early. Start real estate full time.
1: When were you married the first time?
2: <laughs> the first time. Second uh, time? Third time? Uh, no, there there, there is. <laughs> uh, first time was right out of right out of high school. Oh, you we were a baby? Yeah, we were young. It was right when I went in the Marine Corps. That's my son's mother. And then the second time was um probably about oh six, yeah. And then I got married to my daughter's mother. And then um, now I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) And I got married in uh, 18. George III and Kendra are mine.
1: And then Um, Anne has Jordan and Cody. And you guys are adopting Serena. What did you study at YSU and Eastern Gateway?
2: Criminal justice. I'm a few credits shy getting my associates for criminal justice. I did a police academy. And Eastern Gateway through Honduras College does the real estate classes. And yeah, I've been working on my criminal justice. But I'm probably going to switch to business here. <laughs> it's more practical.
1: <laughs> Were you in the Marines for four years? Yes, ma'am. What year did you graduate from Boardman?
2: 97. So I was in the Marine Corps from 97 to 2001. Where? I was stationed at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. We ended up leaving on two deployments. One med float with a 24th MU. We actually did a insert into Kosovo. I didn't personally go in. But our Charlie Company, they actually had to go in and fly in and escort people to Macedonia. I had no combat time, thank God. So, yeah. that's a good thing. And then I got stationed in Okinawa, Japan. Okinawa was just hot and miserable. You survived. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's wild. Did you enjoy the Marines? And...
2: Oh yeah, I loved it. I probably wouldn't get out. One for My family wanted me to get out. I, I definitely liked uh, the structure. And then I guess the standards. The standards they put on you. Yeah. You know, it's different when you come back out in the civilian world <laughs> Yeah, because you, you have expectations of people. It takes a minute to get used to dealing with people on in general. And then, you know, when you become a police officer, you know, <laughs> they always tout, well, this is paramilitary organization. And you come and realize, like, you guys have no clue. Unless you were in the service, you have no clue what military is.
0: So does that create some
2: Yes, definitely yeah. creates some friction. friction. Because you can definitely tell the service guys from the non-service. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it does create fiction.
0: Or do you find a lot of service guys move into
1: police force? I'd are, say are there a
2: lot? we have a lot. I would say they they struggle a little bit. Yeah. I know I did.
1: So you spent 20 years on the streets of Youngstown.
2: 17. I did three years with Mahoney County. Where I met my wife.
1: Oh, so I'm you sure you've got stories.
2: Yeah, I got plenty of stories. <laughs> That's why your mom's so happy when you. Like I'm yeah. done. I put my time in. Yeah, because uh, you know when I was with Youngstown and with the county. Period. I mean, I work. I like stopping cars, chasing people. I like doing that. I actually retired. and told my wife, you know, I don't. I don't miss the stress of. The administration, their politics and stuff, so it did feel kind of like, and I'm not saying I am, you know, Superman hanging up the cape. So, I mean, it is nice helping people, serving. I actually was talking to my wife about that, you know, my whole life. I've always been in that position of serving people. So, like every one of those jobs I wrote down, yep. <laughs> you know, I've yeah. served people. It's a little different do
0: you feel a little bit of that in realty or not yet
2: i definitely do because when you're you know trying to help somebody find their home the home that they want i kind of noticed you know some realtors don't really care they just go in there and they let people just kind of make their own decisions and move along i don't i talk to people you know if i don't think that this is a home that they can afford or it's not exactly what they're looking for, I'll tell them. You know, I don't have any problem telling them that. I know when I bought my first home, the realtor we dealt, dealt with, she was open and honest and straightforward. She helped us a lot, because I was freaking out. <laughs> because, you know, you- Your first you, home is- It's huge, and you know, you're making X amount of money, and then you're worried about like the bills, and, and um, she was awesome. Helped out a lot. It's great. So was, your dad was- Air Force.
1: Was he disappointed when you went to the Marines? Oh no. He I, didn't care.
2: <laughs> no, uh, actually he laughed. He's like, Yeah, you guys got the nicest uniform. So it's like I don't know. <laughs>
1: That was your decision, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: I tell everybody, you can throw anybody in a pair of dress blues and they're not gonna have right, any problems. They're not gonna have any problems. It'll, you look good in dress blues.
1: <laughs> you still wear some? No,
2: no, no. no. Uh, the yeah, I was born in Youngstown, so the story goes, my mom said uh that they were in the, what was it, Kimmelbrook Projects, there was a shooting out in front of where my parents were at. My dad actually grabbed me and my mom, put us on the ground. And after the shooting was over with, my dad was like, I'm not raising my family in this. So he walked down to the recruiter's office, got shipped out a couple of days later. After that, because he joined the Air Force, did his boot camp in San Antonio, and then got shipped off to Carswell Air Force Base's first duty station. And then uh, my mom and I went down there. So then my brother was born. A little bit afterwards, that, after that, they shut down, it was a B-52 bomber base. They had actually redirected the Air Force and closed down that base for a little bit. And we got moved to Shepherd Air Force Base, where um, my dad actually, that became a permanent duty station due to my grandmother's health. So we stayed there until I was probably about 15, 16.
0: And then everyone came back here?
2: <laughs> my dad was the greatest of people. He had, you know, he had his moments. He used to put his hands on myself and my mom. My mom actually left him for a little bit. We moved up here, and we stayed with my Aunt Mary for a little bit. After all that, my parents actually got back together, and um, after a little bit after we moved up here.
1: They're still so, together. You no,
2: know, they're not. You can ask away in that area if you want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you decided to stay up here.
2: Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I can't. I still can't get used to the snow. Snow the weather's horrible. I tell, I tell my wife that all the time. I'm on the water here. We need to move to Arizona or Texas. Oh, you like snow. Texas? Yeah, the weather's great. Come on. Dry heat. I'll take that. Dry heat. dry heat.
1: It's still 105. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You ready for this? Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Jeff. Oh, am I Ed today? <laughs> Said, and we are here with the wonderful Superman George Wallace. Yeah, welcome, George. Hello, glad to have you in the studio today. (laughs) Is that what we're calling it now? (laughs) Podcast studio. George was born in Youngstown, Ohio. Him and his family lived in the projects, and after his dad witnessed a drive-by shooting, took himself down to the recruiter's office and signed up for the Air Force because he wanted his family to have a different life. So he was raised in Cardswell Air Force Base, Fort Worth, Texas, and the Shepherd Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. He attended elementary school in Texas and came back to the Youngstown area when he was 16 and graduated from Boardman High School. He joined the U.S. Marine Corps right after high school, married his high school sweetheart, had George III, and was married for a couple of years and then got divorced. Then he married his daughter Kendra's mom. They were married for 10 years. And are now divorced. And in 2018, he married the love of his life, Anne. Anne's going to be on our show next week. Oh, so oh, together be fun. they have five kids: Jordan, George the Third, Cody, Kendra, and Serena. They're in the process of adopting <coughs> Serena together. So George has had many jobs in the service field. He was a cashier at McDonald's, Giant Eagle. He worked at Champ Sporting Goods. He was in the U.S. Marine Corps for four years. He was a machine gunner and a corporal. He worked for the Mahoning County Sheriff's Office for three years and then moved over to Youngstown City where he was a police officer for 17 years. So 20 years in the police officer role. He retired from that just recently, hung up his Superman cape, That's amazing. not missing the stress or the politics, but missing the service a little bit. He's now a real estate agent with Bergen. He's got some hobbies, marksmanship, archery, hunting, cooking, baking, and smoking barbecue. Did you make chili for the chili cook-off?
2: Yes, ma'am, I did. Nice. <laughs> with stuff you shot? No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> do you do like deer hunting, and then you take yeah. it home, and you get the deer, and you put it in your freezer and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, why? I see deer is good.
0: Is it? Maybe yeah. the way you do it. What do, you do, you, put it, what do we, you do with
2: it? The people we take it, the process to, they usually mix like the pork fat and the beef fat and stuff like that. I've never had bad deer.
0: I have. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's my only experience. <laughs> Bambi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry. Read on. <laughs> George and Anne have been at the upper room since October 2021. They've jumped in. They're involved in Sunday school, the foundations classes. Yeah, you guys are
0: awesome. I feel like you've really just dived in.
2: Yeah, I would say. You were the second person we listened to, because the first one was, uh, first Sunday Clim. we came was Clem. Yeah.
1: Oh, we came back after two special speakers. Oh, wow. And then, uh,
2: <laughs> well, it was kind of funny. The first Sunday we were there, and heard the message that was real particular to her hit home for her. And then the next week, you spoke, and the message hit home for me. So it was kind of like, oh, all right, so we're where we're supposed to be.
1: Huh. God just works things out like that sometimes. Yes, he does. I was
2: talking about offense, right? Yeah. Ooh. Have you
1: practiced that? Choose not to be offended right now. I say
2: I I practice as much as I can. (laughs) It's a daily. daily
1: I have to tell myself that too. I choose not to be offended. (laughs) Anyhow, it's great to have you here, George. Thank Thank you. So tell us who or what turned your light on.
2: I've always had a relationship with Jesus. I grew up in the church. That's actually something we had talked about in my last sozo. Uh, yeah, I've always been in the church, I've grown up in the church. And I'd probably say, yeah, I'm going to say that I've always been saved. My walk hasn't always been the greatest, but I've always been saved. I'd say easily I wouldn't have got through my childhood without being saved. From the outside, growing up, a family like a great family. But in the inside, you know, because my dad was actually a pastor, and uh, full-time in the Air Force. That's what he portrayed. But at home, uh, he was a womanizer, he cheated on my mom. You know, he used to beat up on me and my mother. It's crazy because uh, one of the things, I know Pastor Chuck was asking me, he was like, did it ever affect you in your relationship with God? I was like, no, actually it's, it's crazy because I know God kept my eyes open, separated the hypocrisy And I was able to still absorb his word and read because my dad was real big on us, sitting down and like writing out sermons and learning scripture and reading the Bible all the time. And I took all that in, but yet kept it separate from his behavior. I mean, I look back at it now and I was like, okay, that was pretty huge for me not to mix all that. And So um,
0: many people get stuck right there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I used to love one of my biggest highlights when I was a kid, I used to love, and I still love this man this day Billy Graham. I used to sit down and watch every one of his sermons <laughs> he was always on TV I loved it because I was just like here goes this this one man and he, he's pulling in stadiums stadium full of people and just getting them saved and just preaching the word and I thought that was amazing.
1: We've been talking about this a little bit on the podcast, but, you know, you said you've been saved your whole life, but you just recently went through a SOZO. Do you feel like, what's the process been of growing up saved, but still having hurt and trauma in your life and getting to the point as an adult where you're like, "Mm, I need some healing?
2: I (laughs) I think it's crazy. I just didn't realize it. I don't know, maybe it's being part of, you know, being a a guy (laughs) and the pride and all that stuff. You don't really look at yourself as being heard or victimized or anything, any of those things. You know, my wife actually had to say something to me a few years ago. It was like, you know, hey, you understand, like, you were a victim of domestic violence. I would always just talk about my mom. She was like, you know, you're in that mix, too. And I'm like, I just never thought about it. And then, you know, even with Sozo, you know, just uh, take that step back. and But I did need to forgive my father because that was huge. I did at one point, but then I guess I didn't realize it was still affecting me in some kind of a way. And then a little bit about, you know, one of the things that did come up in Sozo, too, which I don't mind talking about, was uh, because of how my father was, too, there's a lot of rejection there. So therefore, it kind of manifested in other areas of my life. Yeah. And I was huge because I didn't, never thought about that and didn't realize that. So different things kind of close up a little bit and back away from people. You know, I will say the whole Sozo thing's a good thing you guys have here with the church. It's definitely a, a brings things out and helps, like you said, heal and move forward.
0: So do you feel like you're walking with Jesus through Marines and...
2: Oh, I know for sure I was because I, I look back at it and God was always... Always looking out for me. And I guess I'm just a hard learner. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm stupid. <laughs> um, don't well, speak that over yourself. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, uh, man, I could name so many moments. And something happened to me at that moment, I wasn't sure where I'd be. Um, you know, I got in a car accident a little bit after I got stationed at Camp Lejeune, totaled the car, the car trooper showed up and he was like, I don't know how you survived that accident. The car was actually all crumpled except for where I was sitting. <laughs> So even when I was in the service, uh, I had a little incident with a friend of mine. His name was Nick Cole, and he had went AWOL. He had taken off uh, with another kid. They came back to Ohio, and they had sent. They were going to send me and another friend of mine to go collect him and bring him back. Well, we ended up getting a phone call when he was back in North Carolina. My first sergeant had called us. Another friend of mine, Phil Mondatta, wanted us to go collect Cole and bring him and another kid that went AWOL back to the barracks, back to our uh, duty station. Well, I'd say we end up getting a phone call, and they were like, "Well, just go ahead and wait and stand by." And I remember kind of getting in an argument with my ex-wife because I was like, "Look, you know, Cole's there. We're gonna go. We're gonna go grab him and bring him back because we don't need him getting any more trouble." Because I was good friends with him, and um, I'd say the moment I should have been pulling in. Getting there and walking into the apartment, they actually got in a shootout with the marshals. Cole ended up getting killed. I mean...
1: That argument might have saved your life. Yes.
2: And I mean, I probably have dozens more stories similar. I mean, just through law enforcement, I'm like, okay, God was definitely looking out for me all the time. Even being young, the moments between me and my father, things of that nature... There's been a lot, and I'm still like, okay, I I know I'm here for a reason, but God, you need to tell me what it is. (laughs) I know he's always had his hand on my life, and he's Mm -hmm. always watched out for me. Still trying to find my purpose.
1: That's a lot of years to be in the field where your life is on the line and you're day in and day out dealing with high stress and pain of people's lives that you're trying to intervene with.
2: (laughs) The city of Youngstown, I'd say— being a police officer in an urban environment and dealing with those kind of things, it's it's a lot different. I'm not diminishing any other police officer's roles at all. But I don't think people understand, like, the stress that those officers deal with in mm-hmm. the city of Youngstown on a day-to-day basis. Years ago, I was on a community police unit, and um, I'd actually try to explain this to one of the churches You know, they were trying to make the argument that they felt like police officers needed more training and so forth and dealing with the general public. You know, and I tried to explain to them, I I said, I actually see the opposite. I think civilians need more training on about what takes place with police officers Mm -hmm. because they don't understand. You know, on a midnight shift, it was nothing for me to go from domestic to a fight, then go to a shooting and then go and just rotate that all throughout the whole night and not have lunch break, not have any downtime, and just go hard the whole eight hours. Then all of a sudden, now you're forced at the end of the shift and you gotta work day turn. <laughs> and I, they just don't understand the stressors. And I was actually talking to my wife about this because even with our, when I was with Youngstown, I just don't think people think about it too much. There's not a big push for making sure. Officers are good mental health wise. When I was in the service, things that would happen and, you know, different things would arise and issues. I'd say the service was pretty good about it. You know, after the the incident with my friend Cole sent counselors in, you know, everybody sat down, they could talk. Law enforcement. I didn't really see any of that. Maybe once in a blue moon they may come in and be like, Oh, you know, hey, you guys could speak with somebody from Meridian Counseling if you need to, and then just move along. I think it was Kelly. To actually talking to her about it because she wants me to help with that. Because I, I told her, I, I said, I know as a cop and a service guy, I don't really want to just talk to generally anybody. And it's no offense to anyone else, but unless you know what it's like to be there, mm-hmm. I, I don't really want to be standing in front of me like, oh, hey, it's okay. You know, you get people that are like, oh, you know, I, I get it. No, you don't. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you go through phases when law enforcement You know, at first, you know, when you first start, you're like all excited, you're amped up and you're, you know, you're running around and it's, it's great. Then when you start to see certain events over and over again inadvertently, you don't mean to, but you kind of numb yourself and you kind of get hard to it. And then something hits you and then it kind of breaks you down a little bit. You know, I was seeing guys get upset about some homicides over that we've had children involved with. I know for myself personally, you know, one that kind of messed me up for a little bit. We had a murder-suicide over on the west side. It was a pretty gruesome scene. You know, I know I had to take a couple days off for that one. I don't know why, I just... Hit me.
1: And yet you've seen God's hand on your life and protection and... Oh,
2: for sure. There's been moments where like I even told my wife, I said I remember getting out of the cruiser and dealing with people. When I was at the county, I used to deal with a, you know, a lot of the inmates, go back and forth. I earned a lot of respect with guys that were, you know, on the streets with Youngstown. A lot of those guys would say that I was I was tough, but I was always fair and I was always honest. I will say there were always moments where, you know, I would take the time out to actually talk to him or preach to him, hand out a book or, you know, um, I started carrying tracks. So, you know, pass out tracks and talk to people. You know, I remember the one moment I came out of the cruiser, started walking towards the guy and he had got out of the car. He thought about running, I actually turned all the way around, looked at me and was like, hey, Wallace, I know you're fair. I know you're going to do me right. And he put his hands on the hood of the car and he was like, my gun's right over here on my right pocket. He had the, he had a clear jump on me, 100%. <laughs> and he just looked at me, and he knew who I was. And, and I looked back at him, like, you know, hey, God was definitely there. Like I said, I got a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I want to know what your faith walk looked like when Ann came into the picture.
2: Oh, wow. I will say this. When uh, Ann and I got together... It was definitely a blessing and I will preach this to young any, any young kid out here when the Bible speaks about being unequally yoked, that is one hundred percent the truth. You tell you how many boys do you have?
1: Well one is married.
2: Okay. <laughs> My other one is you, not yet, but Yeah, you let him know that all makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Like don't be even messing around, don't play around with it. If she's not walking with Christ, leave it alone.
1: Did you hear that
2: gentleman out there that's not married? I'm I'm serious because it's huge. And ladies, too. It's huge. You know, when her and I first started dating, I I was saved. And, you know, I'll go as far as she was saved. It was just we weren't—she grew up in the church also. So we knew what we were supposed to be doing, and our hearts were in the right place. We started making sure we were trying to get everything right. Then we got married. We started attending VCC Boardman. Jumped right in— I'm not saying things are perfect, but I think there's so much things are so much more different when you're walking and God's first. It's huge. I actually we were talking the other day because I will say not only walking with Christ is huge, but having the relationships with other people. Because you know, you get some people like, Oh, I don't need to go to church. That's a little crap. It is because you do need those relationships and to be able to walk in. I know I had spoken to a couple other guys because I I would like to get a marriage group started here and our men's Bible group, because I know for me, being at the men's Bible group, do it every Monday, I was able to glean off, you know, older, wiser gentlemen and just taking all that information. I said the marriage group thing is huge, too, because to be able to sit down And have other covenant relationships and people you could go talk to at different stages are humongous i can't speak highly enough about the groups i think it's it's huge because i will say that was something that helped us out at the beginning too you know i'm there's another couple we're good friends with you know they're both kind of like alphas and they were both in the service (laughs) <laughs> and they both retire from the service, you know, for my wife and I, you know, to be able to be like, hey, what's it like for you guys? Because that's how me and my wife are. Because <laughs> it was, it wasn't a huge adjustment because I'm used to, you know, walking around and be like, hey, look, no, this is how it's going to be. And then I get my wife looking at me like, oh, well, wait. <laughs> like you lost your mind.
1: <laughs>
2: we definitely had to. I know God had to work on my heart a lot. You know, because I can go. I know I can go from just being like, "Hey, this has got to be," and then to get that response. And I'm like, "Well, not hold up." You know, so so I, I know Welcome God to
0: my house. Yeah, yeah. So I
2: know you know God definitely had to work work on my heart with that. Being able to have, like I said, those covenant relationships and people going through what they're going through. Because, you know, sometimes you—and I've seen people do it. You know, you walk in a church and you look over and you look over to the next pew and you look over and you see some people. And you're like, oh, you know, they look great and they're—you know, everything's lovey-dovey over there. But you don't know their walk. You don't know at all what they've been through. And then, you know, you get to the marriage group and the class and you hear their testimony. You're like, oh, wow, you know, it helps. 'Cause I think sometimes people do go off what they see and they don't realize everything that people have been through.
1: That's so good. The fights in the car on Sunday mornings. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, like you know to get <clears> throat> people throat> throat> sometimes getting to church is hard and then you walk in the door and you're like, Hi, honey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> like, oh. <laughs> Not speaking from
2: experience.
1: No. <laughs> so tell us, George, what lights you up?
2: I'd say definitely being able to help people. I mean, that's why I served for so long. So definitely being able to help people, being able to speak with people and get my testimony, you know, about different areas of my life, I'd say that's something that does light me up. Until I went to El Salvador for our missions trip, I don't think I really realized how important it is to be able to give your testimony, to be able to sit there and talk with people. My wife and I actually had that talk, you know, like, you know, when Jesus tells people to go out there in the Bible, and he tells people to go forth and tell people what happened here, you know, those testimonies are huge because it builds that relationship. It builds more. You don't realize how much more in common you have with people until they give their testimonies. And once they do give it, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize what this person was walking through, what this person was going through. People always just see that end result. My wife and I went through financial peace and you know, did that course and we started paying our tithes. I'll tell you what, just to sit back and look at how God was working through our finances. We're like, how, how are we even staying afloat? I remember we like, we were struggling. We're like, you know, how are we going to get to this, pay off this missions trip? And we had money. It was the craziest thing. I remember the first year we did it. I remember sitting there, every time we would tithe, we would get money back. We were, it was like a couple of times we got like money back from insurance companies. And my wife is tedious about paying the bills. She doesn't do overpayments. She doesn't do any of that stuff. And these kind of insurance companies were like, no, we overpaid. And we're like, no, no, we didn't. But whatever. If you guys are going to say we overpaid, were we'll we're to take that money and we'll cash check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we were it was crazy. We just kept, like for months, we just kept getting money back. And then we had money to pay for our mission trip and go. But yeah, back to my original point, though, you know, just the testimonies are huge.
1: So in this season of your life, and you've just switched seasons, like <laughs> majorly, so retiring from 20 years in the police force, 17 of the those years in the urban setting, and switching to real estate in this season of transition, how are you letting your light shine?
2: actually it's funny that the one guy we actually use all the time for it's funny because like the people you know actually run into and meet the one individual we use keith easton for pillars of post he does our home inspections i usually try to always use him he used to be a youth pastor Mm -hmm. so him and i always speak and actually have (laughs) pretty much good conversation the last transaction i'm dealing with now you know, I asked them what church they were going to and you know what they're what they were doing with their lives and trying to, you know, be encouraging. So it's it's actually pretty nice. I run into people and I'm able to talk to people and still kinda usher them in, a, you know, <laughs> you know, God's direction. It's amazing like the conversations and stuff you get to have with people and
0: even with one I mean, I sat in on one foundation class, and I got to hear the two of you speak just a little bit, you and Anne. And I left thinking to myself, it is so cool, like wherever you're at, and Anne too, that the way that you talk about Jesus or the way that you talk about your faith, it's just so free. Like, it's out there. There's no guessing. And Anne was talking talking about God and work, and I was like... Wow. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, she was like, you need Jesus. (laughs) And yeah, that's just so neat. I appreciate that about you guys.
2: I think it hit me a little bit at a friend of mine. When he first started with the city Youngstown, I trained him for a little bit. And I remember like years later, he said one of the things he always remembered was that uh, I (laughs) I liked to get OVIs and that I always had Christian music on. I was like, oh, all right, well, I know he's paying attention, you know. Mm. <laughs> you know, and then another friend of mine would always tease me. A matter of fact, I saw him the other day and he was like, oh, he's like, my mom reminds me of you. You two, you, you guys could go get together and go do a Bible study. And I was like, oh, yeah, we can. We're going to pray for you, too. <laughs> so I guess looking back at it, you know, someone was like, you don't realize how much everybody is actually watching you. I mean, we're all human, and I I guess it's just, you know, if you're making mistakes, you own up to it. But living that life for Christ, definitely people do notice. They do notice.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. It was really cool. (laughs) I left that meeting thinking. I mean, there's no apologies about that. I know that you've already shared some supernatural stories, but do you want to share one more?
2: Oh, well, (laughs) I don't know if I'd call it supernatural, but I guess uh, when we went to our missions trip in El Salvador, I remember <laughs> before we left, I was explaining to my wife, you know, I was like, listen, it's really going to affect you emotionally going on the mission trips. I don't know if you guys have been on mission trips at all. Because I had told her, you know, just like when I was in the service and I went overseas and, you know, you go to different countries and you, you meet different people, you come back like mentally, and emotionally drained because you see that all that we have and all that we take for granted here and it really does hit home. You're like, oh, man. And you get disgusted with people. I mean, you really do. Like, you get frustrated. You come in here and you, and you worship in church and you're like, you guys don't understand, like, the freedoms and benefits that you have. Open your mouth and you better start saying. Mm. <laughs> mm. like, like, you know, you're looking around like, you know, come on. I remember explaining to my wife, I'm like, I really wanted her to pay attention so, I remember actually kind of praying on it because I was like, I don't want any interruptions. I know sometimes, you know, and she doesn't mean to, you're like, she might, she'll be a little bit on her phone because of work, you know, and for some reason, you know, our boys just can't figure your life out. So they got to text mom for some random stupid crap. But anyway. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs>
2: How do like, you boil eggs, yeah, mom? Exactly. <laughs> like, you're like, come on, man. <laughs> I remember laughing. The second we got there, her phone would not work. Would not work. It was like a brick. It would not work. God
1: answered your prayers. <laughs> yes. It would not work.
2: And, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Not work. and uh, the whole time we were there, when turn on, nothing. It was dead. I laughed, but she got in the whole experience. I remember her and the couple that they're pastors, Miguel and Flor, Ardimento, we're still good friends with them. We actually still talk back and forth. We wow. try to send them money and everything. We got to watch them preach over people preach in the middle of the streets, pray over people. I mean, it was it was an awesome, awesome experience. And I remember laughing towards the end of the trip because I was like, look, you know, I said, no matter what happens, I want us to be able to take a day to ourselves (laughs) to spend time by ourselves, no kids, no dogs no nothing. And uh, when we got back, we forgot to switch the time on our watches. And we actually missed the flight out of Atlanta. (laughs) <laughs> so we ended up having this, we got to spend a night in the hotel and that night and spend time together and then fly out the next day. Oh my god! So I was No laughing. kids,
1: no dogs. Exactly. <laughs>
2: so I was like, I said, God knew my heart the whole time.
0: That's wild.
2: <laughs> so... Definitely answers prayers and knows your heart. And you'd encourage missions? Oh, for sure. Like Everybody. I think everyone should at least do one missions trip. I, I think it's important to see what other people's lives are like, what they're struggling with, and just to get away from your comfort zone. It, mm. t- it takes you completely out of your comfort zone. And when you go in these other countries and you do see other things, you see how truly how Satan works, too. I remember being in El Salvador, and I'm like, the ghetto' is the same everywhere you go. It is, and he works the same. He works through these through the kids, you know, their self-esteem, He takes people and he, he tries to separate you and make you feel lonely and it's just crazy how he doesn't bring anything new, but yet yeah, we still fall into it all the time right. <laughs> And uh, it's mind-blowing. I remember I was with uh, Miguel. One of the things I personally had to learn was like just planting the seeds and then not being offended (laughs) 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 that they still didn't accept Christ or, you know, actually take everything in. Because Miguel, I'm telling you, like he was just on it. It's like we're going from one this house, we're preaching here, we're moving on. I remember we went to one. We spoke to this lady, and um, she was real receptive, but, like, towards the end, just something was just blocking her. Like she, she wanted it, but then something towards the end was just blocking her from fully accepting Christ. We had left, and then I was like, Miguel, I said, this is put on my heart. We need to go back. I need to talk to her again. We went back. I tried talking to her again, but her family was there, so she started getting, like, really closed off with us because her family was there, you know, and then we left. Again, And Miguel told me, he was like, God needed you to go through that. You already planted the seed. We got to move on. And then a little bit after that, I ran into a young man and he was upset and he lost his, his child. His baby had passed away. I had actually went through that experience also. I got to preach to him for a little bit because it was kind of like a little mirrored image there for a second. I actually understood how he was feeling because I was saved I had a lot of questions. I wasn't bitter with God, but I was just upset in general. You know, I just kind of question I'm like, I'm not understanding. You know, here I am working this job, and I drive here, and I drive through the projects, and I deal with so many people, and they have all these children, and they don't care about them, but you took mine. And I do. I love I love my babies. So <laughs> why would you take my child to be able to talk with him and preach to him for a little bit? and you know, we prayed over him, and the kid was pretty emotional. In the end, he still, someone was still, I think, a little bit of the bitterness and blocking him from accepting Christ. You know, we prayed over him and gave him some literature, and, you know, he went about his way. So it was my second lesson for the day, just plant that seed and then move on. Oh, all right, that's my
0: salvador really <laughs> yeah, That's really good. Thanks. I think people should go on missions mission so- um, trips. Missions trips?
1: Sozo?
2: Oh, yeah, I'm for you. I would tell everybody here in the church. I think how,
1: let's do a plug for that. Going through that. How did it make you feel on the other end of it?
2: Doing the sozo, the walk with trying to the forgiveness part with my father. Because I, I do think people we do get kind of wrapped in that, like you know, oh yeah, I forgive him. But sometimes I think we get caught up in just saying what we're saying and not really living it out. When you truly live that out you are freed from that. And that person can keep doing what they're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you do have to release a lot of those things. And like, you know, then even having that that talk and the Holy Spirit revealing the whole, you know, that spirit of rejection throughout all those years and how it was reflected in other areas of my life and was kind of messing with my confidence with certain things. And that revealed and my eyes open to that. That was huge. I will definitely say I think everyone in this church should definitely, whether you think so or not, go through SOZO, especially if you feel like you're struggling with your walk a little bit here and there, because there there are things that you may not have pinpointed on that could be generational that you do need to sit down and, and pull out and get it out there. Because like I said, that spirit of rejection, I'd have never thought about that. The forgiveness thing, I knew. You know, I knew that was always a constant thing I had to work on. But... That spirit of rejection on my own would have never had that revealed to me. So to be able to sit down with Pastor Chuck and Pastor Greg and have that pulled out, that was amazing.
1: Well, George, it's been great having you on the show today. We appreciate your vulnerability and honesty and your willingness to share your testimony. Thanks. Thank you. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.